In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we gather here in your name this morning, and we make an act of faith that you are here with us in a special way, because you yourself said, when two or three gather in my name, there I am in their midst, in a special way. Lord, we believe that you want to be here in spirit and in truth, in word and in sacrament, in song and in our gathering. Lord, we welcome you here. We want you. We need you. We love you. We are grateful for your faithfulness, for your presence, for your loving presence for the light that you bring into our lives, for the hope that you bring. Jesus, we praise you for being the source of our hope. You are our living hope. And you are alive in each and every one of us here through the Holy Spirit. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come, to come in a new way, to speak to each and every one of us today in a personal way, to touch our hearts, to enlighten our minds, to strengthen our wills, to bring healing to our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Heavenly Father, we pray that we can come to know your love for us through the Son and the Spirit. that you're a good, good Father, that you are providing for us, that you are making a way for us. And today, Father, we want to hear you speak those words to our hearts that you spoke to Jesus at his baptism, that we are your beloved sons and daughters, that we are children of God, children of love, So Holy Spirit, please communicate to us today in a new way, in a deeper way, in a more powerful way, the truth of these words that the Father spoke over Jesus at his baptism. Mother Mary, we crown you the queen of our gathering here this morning and entrust our time of prayer to you and to St. Joseph as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome. Good morning. There are some empty seats in the front, like at any good Catholic gathering. I like to joke with people at Mass, you know, these seats are not more expensive than the ones in the back. So feel free to take these seats here. I can move, move back a little bit so I'm not right in your face. So I'm recording this uh, that we, we can post it later. And uh, as I mentioned, let's reflect a little bit on what just happened in these last couple of weeks. It was so much in such a short period of time. And it seems to go by faster and faster, doesn't it, as we get older? But uh, <laughs> nevertheless... We believe that God has more for us here today. So let's just go to Mark's gospel. And 
we'll start right at the beginning. Mark chapter 1. I'll just start with verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark doesn't mess around. He just comes right out and speaks the truth there. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So if I could highlight one word today for us, it's affirmation. It's been on my heart. So you could just pray in a particular way today for a spirit of affirmation. Let that be our corporate prayer for one another, that we would receive from the Father this spirit of affirmation, which is related to identity, you could say. He's affirming our identity. He's affirming our goodness. And re-highlighted the fact that we have this conference coming up for women. That is that you are enough. And God wants us all to know that we are enough. That we are lovable just for who we are. Not for what we do. Not for what we have but just for who we are, just the way he made us. And what's been pointed out to me in this gospel, a couple of things have been highlighted for me over the last couple of years as I've been here in Detroit and listened to Father Matthias and Dr. Mary Healy in particular. They like to highlight that the, the fact that Jesus was affirmed like this before he did any works. So keep in mind, this is chapter one of Mark's gospel. So this is before he performs any miracles. It's before he preaches any sermons. It's before he calls any of his disciples. So the father is affirming him just for who he is. And these words were pronounced over us at our baptism. Most of us probably don't remember them because <laughs> we were babies. But the sacrament confers, it imparts, it communicates the grace that Jesus himself received at his baptism. You might say, 
Jesus sanctified the waters of baptism for us. Dr. Mary Healy points out that in his humanity, Jesus needed to be anointed. He emptied himself of his divinity when he became one of us. You know, as we just contemplated Christmas. It's so striking that Almighty God becomes a little baby. And although he remained what he always was, namely God, the Son of God, so he was still a divine person, but he emptied himself, as St. Paul says, of his divinity. He didn't grasp equality with God when he became a man. So he had to grow up just like all of us did. Of course, we didn't have Mary and Joseph as parents, but he had to mature. He had to grow, as it says in the gospel. And so for his mission that God was giving him, that his father was giving him, he needed to be anointed And so that also happened at his baptism. And that happened also at our baptism. We were anointed for our mission. Again, we didn't know about it when we were babies. But as we have matured in our faith, we've all learned, we've all come to understand more and more that, wow, I have a part to play in the history of salvation. And my part, my role is very important. It's just as important as anybody else's. We all have a part to play. So that's another thing that might speak to you today. We can all just be affirmed in our place because we all want a place, right? We all want to know that we belong. That's, that's a, a fundamental need and desire that we all have to, to sense, to know that we belong. And the Lord wants us all to know today that we absolutely belong to him. We belong to his church. We are now members of the household of God, it says in Hebrews. We're no longer strangers. We're members of the household of God by virtue of our baptism, which we didn't initiate, right? God was the protagonist in that. I mean, your parents had to play a part. But Jesus, by being baptized and then having the church established and instituting his sacraments, was necessarily taking the initiative to gather the nations and to make all of us one with him. And wasn't that his most fervent prayer that he prayed at the Last Supper? Before going out to his crucifixion, what did he pray? In John chapter 17, we hear it, right? Thank you, Kara. Yeah, John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer, where he prayed for unity over and over and over again. Father, may they be one. May we all be one. And what is the unifying factor that Jesus makes reference to? Not explicitly, but Implicitly, indirectly, he talks over and over again about the glory, the glory. Well, the glory is the Holy Spirit. Whenever you read that word glory in chapter 17 of John's gospel, which we can go to here for a moment, just think Holy Spirit. 
for example. Start with verse 20, for example. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Well, there you go. Jesus was praying for all of us at the Last Supper right there. John 17, 20. He was praying for us who would believe in him through the word of the apostles, through the gospels. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory, there it is, the glory which you have given me at my baptism, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The Spirit is the unifying factor in the Trinity, in a sense. We can't fully comprehend the Trinity, but in some sense we can attribute certain characteristics to one or the other persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is that unifying factor. And what is it? It's love, right? It's, it's the love. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Hmm. More affirmation, right? More affirmation related back to his baptism. Because he spoke those words of affirmation. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I'm proud of you. I love you. I delight in you. I rejoice over you. All of those apply. All of those apply. And they apply to you. They apply to you. So let's not, be, let's not let the enemy discourage us or have us believe his lies that we're not worthy, that we've somehow lost God's favor because of our sins. That's a bunch of baloney, as my dad used to say. It's a bunch of baloney. You haven't lost God's favor. You can't. You can't lose God's favor. Because, as it says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which is to say his love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. And similarly, there's nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. Which is a relief, really, when you think about it. Because otherwise, life becomes a competition of sorts. And then we fall into comparison, and then we fall into discouragement. When I'm not as blank as her or him or them. Right? And that's not from God. Let's read that verse again from John 17. So beautiful. Those couple verses, 20 to 22. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So it, it just speaks to his desire. Like, I, I want them to know this. I want them to experience this. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. 20 to 23. So that was the motivation behind baptism and all of the sacraments, really, especially the Eucharist, obviously. Christopher West likes to say that, uh, how does he say it? That all of the sacraments, well, yeah, all of the sacraments in some way, but some more in particular than others, are meant to be conjugal. You know, he's the theology of the body guy, right? So he's always thinking about sex and marriage. So, but, right, in an analogical way, the sacraments are conjugal. It's God's desire to be united with, with you and with all of humanity. So, isn't that beautiful? We get a little bit of a... Of a insight into God's heart there in John chapter 17 and it, and it highlights the motivation for not only his baptism but our baptism that we may be one all of us and that we all may come to experience this love of the father through the son in the spirit so a perfect opportunity I think a little um, a little commercial here for this book written by Father Joseph Bertka, who's from Bloomfield Hills. Some of you know his mom. So his mom, being a proud mom, uh, got his book for me. And it's, I think it's his latest book, Renewing the Fire of Pentecost. How about that? Coming from a legionary, an older legionary. Renewing the Fire of Pentecost. And I was, so it's, uh, it's written in the spirit of Father... Gately's books, 33 Days to Morning Glory and such. So this is a 50-day novena, if you will. So every day there's a short reading on the Holy Spirit. And so she just got it for me, so I just started it. Um, and I thought today's reading was really uh, appropriate for this little reflection. The title of the reflection for today is More Than Just a Force. More Than Just a Force. And he quotes from Matthew's gospel, the, the end of Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what he argues here is that we know that the Father and the Son are people, are persons. So we can necessarily deduce from this that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not just a force, not just a power. I think Saint, I think uh, Scott Hahn puts it that way. He's not just a power; he's a person. So he then includes this quote, which is very interesting because uh, Father Joseph writes, "Jesus came to make known the love of the Father and reconcile us with Him by His death on the cross, and in the process." unveil the reality of God as Trinity, not just Father and Son, but also a mysterious third, the Spirit. Everything Jesus said and did was performed through the Spirit, but only at the close of his life did he begin speaking of him directly as a person. And so then he uh, 
gives this quote here from St. Gregory of Nazianzus. And I'm not sure what year that is, but he's a father of the church. So it's, you know, first five centuries of the church, probably. Here's the quote. The Old Testament proclaimed the father clearly, but the son more obscurely. Right. You've heard that, that um, the new is contained in the old. The New Testament is contained or hidden, even veiled in the old. And the old is fulfilled and completely unveiled in the new. The New Testament revealed the Son and gave us a glimpse of the divinity of the Spirit. Now the Spirit dwells among us and grants us a clearer vision of himself. It was not prudent when the divinity of the Father had not yet been confessed to proclaim the Son openly. And when the divinity of the Son was not yet admitted to add the Holy Spirit as an extra burden, to speak, somewhat daringly, by advancing and progressing from glory to glory, the light of the Trinity will shine in ever more brilliant rays. It's true, isn't it? When we, when we profess our faith on Sundays, which is the Nicene Creed, so that comes from the Council of Nicaea, which is early, early church. Uh, there's so much emphasis on clearly defining who Jesus is, right? And then only at the very end do we get, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church, Communion of Saints, Spirit, yeah. well, that's the Apostles' Creed, but I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, right, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is uh, worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. And that's it. Right. So they are equating this Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son, but his personhood isn't clearly spelled out. And let's face it, it is more mysterious. But let's pray that we can 